Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC, and today I've got two guests with me. I've got Eric Watkins. Eric is the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, an OPC church in St. Augustine. And I have Terrence Dickerson with me. Terrence is a ruling elder at the same church, Covenant OPC in St. Augustine. We're glad to have these two men with us, and they are here with us to talk about the recent events in our country, the racial unrest, the death of George Floyd, some of the ways that they've been able to minister uh, in their community. If I can maybe go to the flip side of the coin for a minute now, we've talked a lot about this good event that you guys had in St. Augustine and other encouragements as to where to look. Could we talk a little bit about maybe pitfalls for people to avoid? Sometimes people are very well-meaning, wanting to do something, uh, whether it be church-wise or whether it be individually, and they may just be unaware of the, the message that it's sending. They're well-intended in their heart, but, but it's not really connecting. I wonder if we could talk about that for a few minutes whether you guys have anecdotes, examples that you've seen in the past, do things come to mind? Uh, maybe Terrence, I'll, I'll turn to you uh, as an African-American man responding to these things. Are there things that you see and know people are well-intended? Help them to, to maybe just see, hey, maybe, maybe steer more this direction than that direction. Maybe think more this way than that way to help all of us kind of avoid those awkward, well-intended uh, situations that don't actually connect or produce helpful, encouraging moments. Yeah, I guess um, I'm thinking of a scenario where recently there was some guys who meant well, and they mentioned that instead of uh, us having our time of prayer, that, that maybe we should come along some uh, black churches that were celebrating Juneteenth, and let's just go and celebrate with them. And um, instead of you know, allowing that to stand, I actually encourage them preferably to actually study about Juneteenth. And then once you understand what all is going on, then you'll know how to rightfully assist and come along and fellowship with brothers uh, or members of the church who are celebrating that. Um, so it's, there is a place where you, you, you do notice people talk about, I just want to listen. I just want to listen. And, to me, a pitfall for that is not just the reality that we do need to listen, but sometimes you're hearing things uh, just because someone says it doesn't mean that's the answer. It doesn't mean it needs a response um, because I listen to people and I know automatically sometimes where they're going or which worldview are they, they coming from. But as the church, we still have to be the church. We have to be the Lord's light and we have to still know how to give an answer for the hope that's within us. Some of the issues that I've seen is just a matter of people, well, I either I don't say anything at all, or I run with the Black Lives Matter type of moniker because I want to look like it matters to me. And, you know, from, from my standpoint is, if it really mattered, then 
it shouldn't be reflected in what's happening now. It should be something that we should be uh, advancing before the big fallout. You know, uh, if, if, if it really mattered, I mean, I particularly have an issue with people saying, you know, the church, 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour of the week. You know, recently at our last conference, we had a speaker that kind of pushed back uh, against that, saying, well, if your Monday through Fridays look monolithic, then you should expect your Sunday to look monolithic as well. And But that just means that whites and blacks, people of various ethnicities, need to get out of their little comfortable shells and express yourself or at least extend yourself to people that don't necessarily look like you. If we do that organically, just like you mentioned, if somebody down the street uh, lost a loved one and you went across the street to, to show empathy, that goes a long way. You don't have to say, well, I'm, I'm from this church and, and I want you to come and visit our church. Just be there. If you're there authentic, you know, organically and authentically, it will, it will manifest itself. I think we can get a lot more done just by truly understanding that these are opportunities, these are people, these are lives. And whatever their background is, they'll learn more about where you're at over time. They don't need to know that up front. They just need to know that you care. And we got, you know, work to do in trying to communicate that well. Eric, any, uh, any follow-up thoughts on that? Yeah, a couple of illustrations. I, I think, you know, it is important to remember that good intentions are not always well-received. And, you know, the perception of certain things is part of the hurdle. So, you know, what I can remember hearing a pastor suggest maybe what we should do in response to all this is have a Sunday where we just sing a bunch of African spirituals. And I could see why that might be well intended. I could also see how that might be perceived as kind of condescending and token-esque in ways that just it might actually might not actually have the effect that somebody uh, would desire. I personally would find that a little bit puzzling and not necessarily helpful. I think that just to say something that's pretty important to me and will arguably be the most controversial thing I say in the interview, I am dumbfounded how many Christians are jumping arm in arm with the Black Lives Matters movement as though that is a, a proper uh, evangelical response to this. And why it concerns me is that that is an organization that is explicitly, unambiguously, no punches pulled, pro-homosexuality, pro-abortion, and anti the Judeo-Christian traditional definition of family. You read all that stuff on their on their material, and it, it would be like the church partnering with Planned Parenthood. It, it just makes no sense to me at a level. The level that does make sense, I think this is what's sad, is because the church has been so quiet, people, and I think especially you know millennials and younger, are looking for someone to say something, do something, rise up and lead. So on the one hand, I'm completely heartbroken and baffled that now even many in the church are sort of standing side by side uh, with a distinctively anti-Christian organization. I mean, there's a, just a, a paradox there that bewilders me and grieves me. And yet I understand, you know, in a certain sense, how they got there because uh, they're looking for some voice and some um, visible sense of leadership. So here again is where I think, you know, the church needs to do more than just wait this one out and keep our heads down until the dust settles. This is an opportunity to speak into the pain with the gospel, particularly 
And, you know, that as hopefully a biblical church-centered, gospel-centered alternative to some of the more political uh, approaches that often have proven to be violent at worst, but theologically a thousand yards away from the church at best. So if I could follow up on that, I'm, I'm legitimately asking kind of out of my ignorance as well, just trying to think like a listener. You mentioned young people are looking to kind of hitch with an organization that can kind of help them be involved in something. It, should it be in the reform world? Should it be the local church that does that? Are there any organizations that we should be aware of that are kind of working in that gospel-centered approach on issues, let's say, of race, since we're talking about that, that a, that a reformed Christian could be involved with, help with, that, that's better, or should it just be the local church? Eric? Yeah, that, that's probably a better question than I have a robust answer for. It, you know, it might be the sort of thing that Christians should bond together and address it the way that Christians have formed together and responded to, you know, the abortion uh, dynamic um, or other uh, sins and injustices in, in our nation, in the world, in our local communities. I think what's significant, though, is that part of the problem that that churches and pastors have right now is that if the church isn't talking about it at all, that doesn't mean the kids aren't listening. They're just not listening to their pastors because their pastors aren't talking about it. But they're going to listen to somebody. They're going to turn on the news. They're going to listen to social media. They're going to interact with their friends in college or, you know, down the street, whatever it is. And in the absence of something, they will gravitate. uh, In the absence of something healthy and biblically centered, they're going to gravitate to, you know, whatever gets a hook in, so to speak, and, and appears to be trying to do the right thing. And so I, that's why I think we have to, on the one hand, uh, understand uh, how this kind of comes about and at the same time um, where, you know, lo- listen, local churches need to decide, you know, to what extent they're going to engage this and how I don't want to play golf from, you know, a thousand yards away, so to speak, and attempt to micromanage what each local church should do. But I do think what you can't miss is the fact that ears are piked and listening uh, for some sort of leadership and guidance on how to think. And, you know, the church might have an opportunity to do this in different ways. It could be possibly something that's addressed in the pulpit. In our church, we did do that. It could be something discussed in youth groups. Um, It could be something discussed in camps. It could be something discussed in a variety of different ways. Uh, You know, there could be materials that are that are you know be put out that could be helpful, but um, in one fashion or another, I think what we need to do is draw attention away from uh, decidedly unbiblical organizations and draw attention to decidedly biblical organizations, beginning particularly with the church itself. So your your question, Brad, is really good, and I don't think I've given a great answer. There are others that may be engaging this far more than we've been able to do. And, you know, we're quite happy to listen and to learn from them. Um, yeah, I think our rising up and stepping in this gap was not because we felt like we had all the answers, but because we sensed the need was there. And, you know, kind of like when you're on the beach at a moment when somebody begins to drown, you don't stop and think about whether or not you've had all the lifeguard training and CPR and how well you swim. You just go get them. And I think this is a moment where, you know, that's, I, I I think people are looking for that sort of pastoral impulse. This is urgent. This is painful. Just go get them. Maybe going to Terrence, um, just a slight spinoff, and you can add to that question if you want. But I'm wondering, speaking for myself during this time, I've looked 
at book list recommendations. If I if I want to <clears throat> educate myself, if I want to find some solid resources, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to pick out 13 books, 12 podcasts, seven videos. But if I if I'm going to turn to one or two resources, thinking through this, I you know I follow it, but I you know I really want something. I have seen drastically different reading lists, not only in the Christian world, but even in the Reformed world, when I look at, you know, here's a couple lists or here's a video to watch. I'm wondering, Terrence and Eric, you can be thinking about it too. If, if, if there were a couple people or a couple resources, I don't know how comfortable you are singling a particular book or, or resource out, but where could people turn for one or two things from each of your perspective that you would say, you know, this is what I'd email my friend, or this is what I'd email my family member or send to them. Does anything come to mind for both of you that that people could specifically take away from the two of you session members at an OPC church saying, hey, here, you know, here's a good place to kind of get a feel for for what we're talking about. And and whether it be the history of it or just the expression of it or the, the, the feeling of it contemporarily. Any thoughts, Terrence, as I kind of gave you a little little lead in to think there? Well, yeah, I'll tell you, from those who are familiar with Reformed theology, immediately the first book that really helped settle me that I think will give some insight uh, was a book by Anthony Carter called On Being uh, Black and Reformed. That was a very, very pivotal tool, pivotal book for me um, on a number of fronts because there's things that I knew in history uh, that were not right. I didn't quite understand why was it going on and why were these individuals involved in it? Uh, certain things that people have blind spots theologically and they play, you know, parts maybe on the, even on the wrong side of history or certain things while having great theology. It just wasn't consistent. But this is one that helped me uh, to understand and really embody what it means to be a reformed person with, within a black context. Because, of course, I'm having to explain, well, what about these people? And what about these comments? Well, I, I love the fact that Anthony Carter used Joseph. And it's a very, very powerful tool, even for me today, that I use regularly with helping people to understand that in a time like now, people say, where was God? Why did God let this happen? Well, the same question can be asked and could reasonably ask, where was God at the crucifixion? Where was God during Joseph's time? And the reality is he was there the whole time. He was actually using these particular conditions for a greater narrative. And that's our problem. We don't see that greater narrative, or at least the church who should understand that greater narrative is not continually uh, staying there or understanding that. So we allow a different narrative come along and... Uh, kind of sway us and get us off of our own theological convictions. So to me, that was one. Now, outside, and I guess maybe because it's not something that we spend a lot of time talking about, I, I've actually gotten a lot more information and insight from people who were not Reformed or people who uh, may have been even more political because I believe that these particular things are not things that only the church can can speak to. You know, in, in a sense, we think, well, our Bible gives us everything that we need. And true enough, it does. But there are 
there are things that are not explained in the Bible that we probably could benefit from some outside sources to help clear up some misconceptions. So one of the guys that I like listening to um, is Thomas Sowell, and he's had some helpful books, a number of them that has been increasingly helpful to keep me anchored. So I, I would say that's, that's another source. I think one of the particular books that I'm going through is called um, Race and Intellectuals by Thomas Sowell. Wonderful book. So those are the number of people that I've listened to, books that I've read that I thought were helpful. Uh, he's not saying anything that's unbiblical. Actually, he's kind of giving you more of a historical uh, analysis to kind of help to cut down some of the arguments about race in America and uh, systemic uh, systemic racism or white supremacy. He's actually kind of spoils it all by pointing to a number of examples throughout history that places that didn't have slavery still suffer from some of the same problems. So I don't think that it necessarily should be just a, a Christian only, um, but I think there's enough people that God has used to collectively help us. Help us, And so those are two of my sources. Those are great. Eric, anything come to mind, one or two resources that you'd encourage people to get start with? Yeah, I think part of the problem is when you begin to reference books like this, you know, the, the playing field is so politically divided that as soon as you begin to identify particular books, people begin to pinpoint you like, okay, that's where they're coming from politically. And this is such a politicized subject. You know, if you if you go on one side, the sort of, you know, James Cone down into the social justice uh, advocates, um, you know, you're, you're, you're developing a reading list that is largely influenced by a particular po political point of view. Um, and then if you, you know, Terrence Mes mentioned Tom Sowell, you know, others like Ishmael Hernandez, um, <clears throat> people you could think of, you know, J.D. Vance, uh, Hillbilly Elegy, really interesting book. You know, th those are coming from a different political point of view. And I think that's part of the problem with this conversation. It is so politicized that the more you say, the more people begin to paint you a certain way politically and they either really agree with you or really disagree with you and the conversation is done. So I really like the answer that, um, I don't know if I, well, he said it at a conference, H.B. Charles, I asked the question at our conference on uh, race relations. So building bridges instead of barriers, reforming race relationships in the church is a conference our church did last year that's still online on YouTube and on our church website. I had some really great speakers. It was a really great event overall. But I asked HB the question, so what is your church doing about race relationship struggles? And his answer was fantastic. His answer was, I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark. And I just kind of kept looking at him like, you know, you're going to say something else. He's like, no, that, that's that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm, I'm preaching the Bible. And, you know, he said that, you know, there's so much in the Bible that deals with these issues, you know, the struggles between ethnicities is in the Bible, Jew and Gentile, showing compassion for people as the way of the Savior, that's in the Bible. The gospel is our only hope, is in the Bible. And I actually think that's that's a pretty helpful answer. So there's, you know, there's quite a lot of material out there. This is a subject that's just become, you know, I mean, there's just a myriad of books available now addressing it from one perspective or another, one political perspective or another. But at the end of the day, I actually would encourage Christians to look to their Bibles 
uh, look to their Bibles and note the way of the Savior addresses these issues. You know, the the language that I read from Ecclesiastes 4.1, you know, the, of oppression and the lack of comfort. Uh, there really is nothing new under the sun. And that's why the greatest story ever told is recorded in Scripture is really our hope for dealing with just the new twists and turns, the different creative expressions of sin, including the one that we're seeing before our eyes today. So if I could ask you guys one more question, more about your families. Uh, you two have families in minorities, uh, but our listeners will be some of those and some in majority white households. But across the board, there are a lot of questions, a lot of how do we talk to our kids about this? How do we deal with this around the dinner table? How do we deal with this, you know, as a family, wh whatever race that the family is? I wonder if, if you two have some thoughts and encouragements on thinking about our listeners. Eric, why don't I start with you? Do you have some thoughts about, in particular, talking to your kids, specifically like the George Floyd incident and the, the, all the unrest that comes after that in particular? Yeah, well, again, this displays my either ignorance or my attempt to be cautious and just following after the you know the political bandwagon and chasing um, ambulances in an unhelpful way. Uh, you know, when my family and I talk about this, this is a sin issue. Uh, this is not narrowly a race issue or a racism issue. So, in other words, what was in that police officer's heart, whether that was motivated by something racial or just anger, jealousy, hate, sin. You know, the problem is the world doesn't have the category of sin to help it understand things like that. So it defaults to more politicized rhetoric and categories. It's the best it can do. I think we as Christians can do better than that. And, you know, when, when the sin of racism is clear, let's call it that. But this was the sin of murder. And beyond that, I don't know how much more I can say. You know, there's a certain sense in which I remember one of our speakers from the conference saying he's kind of getting tired of these conversations um, and hopes that there will be a day when we don't have to have them. I hope that day comes too. Uh, I, I, you know, our kids have relationships with kids of all different skin colors on our street. They play with them. I don't think my kids see in color quite the same way that even my own generation does. And I'm thankful for that. Um I think it's important that we model open homes and hospitality to the people that live in our communities. And I also think, you know, I, I've had this conversation once with some people that live in a community where the majority of their community is mono-ethnic. And so they'd have to drive quite a far away, you know, to find someone that has different skin color. You know, so those are, those are little nuances that are interesting, the way you might deal with this in a you know, in an ethically mixed place, a financially, economically mixed place might be different than if you're in a really rural environment that's largely uh, mono-ethnic. But at the end of the day, I do think the idea of just opening up our homes and doing hospitality uh, with people, with neighbors, and just using this as an opportunity to talk. I've got neighbors that this has been an opportunity to get to know them and talk to them in ways that I haven't before. And nothing says, I love you, you're human, and you're welcome here like food. Um, and I, I think this is a wonderful opportunity to sit down and, and break bread with people and signal to them that you respect them, you have interest in them, uh, listen to them, hear their story, tell your story, but try to move the conversation towards a gospel crescendo. Terrence, any thoughts from you on 
talking to kids and children and questions they may have and just encouragements to, to people who are fielding questions they maybe weren't ready for, or maybe uncertain about how to answer. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say all the things that Pastor just mentioned, I would also <clears throat> would like also encourage them to broaden their resources as far as other people that are speaking on these issues so they can become more familiar with them so that they can engage their family members with that. I mean, we the reality is, is if, if I'm in a particular uh, ethnic group, then I'm not going to really know about how other people are interacting with it unless I get into those particular circles. So your family member, you know, usually of like-minded individuals in it. So usually you've heard whether you were catechized, uh, you know, you've heard, you know, whether the news station that you're watching or conversation that you've heard, we're all interacting with the same data. The question is, is has that crossed into other ethnicities interactions with it? So it's not just as if the black people control the conversation about race, because truly, if you speak into the categories in which our society has spoken, you know, spoken to these issues of race, then you would think, well, blacks have an experience that others don't share or whites have an experience that others don't share. The reality is we're all sharing the same experience. We're just doing it from different angles. And so I think there are there are people that's in um, the Caucasian background that can serve to help heal some of the wounds, as well as those that are in uh, predominantly black ethnic backgrounds that we play a part together because it's not just we're the victims. I don't buy that narrative. Um, but yet and still, God is drawing together a church made of many ethnicities and we need one another. The last thing we need is division. So um, just familiarizing yourself uh, with things around you and maybe even going out of your way to different sides of the town to find out places to eat is helpful because it creates opportunities where you can then share love and share, you know, your life with other people that don't look like you. So I would, I would just encourage that. Thanks for that, Terrence. Thanks both of you. This has been really helpful. I think listeners will be uh, encouraged by this and we appreciate uh, both your time, Terrence and Eric. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking time and being with us today. You're welcome. God bless you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.